Hey everybody, welcome to episode 4 of The Munchies Dude. I'm your host, Andrew Lerng, and for this episode, I'll be looking into roadkill consumption culture and an Alaskan food way associated with this practice. So in Alaska, 600 to 800 moose are killed per year by cars, which actually generates 250,000 pounds of free-range meat on the road. Moreover, Alaska is a pretty far away and remote location, and because of this, it's more expensive to ship goods there. This creates a need to be more resourceful in Alaska in terms of the patterns of consumption inhabitants adopt under the constraints of limited financial resources. Moreover, in Alaska, there is a belief that it's shameful to let nourishing and organic free-range meat go to waste, and the cold climate limits foodborne illnesses that might be an issue that other, others might perceive in consuming roadkill. Talking a little bit about the distribution mechanism behind how roadkill is consumed in Alaska, roadkill is actually recognized as state property and is collected and given to disadvantaged communities. So there used to be a nonprofit called the Alaska Mood Federation, but it was disbanded over COVID. So charities are now responsible for delivering roadkill moose meat to low-income, older adult, and Alaska Native households who are disproportionately dealing with pandemic financial insecurity and are oftentimes afraid or unable to leave their house during the COVID lockdowns. For the general population, there's the Alaska Roadkill Lottery, where community members fill out an application and wait their turn, and all members of the community have a chance at winning a recently killed animal, so as you can see, there's a significant demand for roadkill in Alaskan inhabitants. Moving on to a more critical analysis of Alaskan foodways, roadkill has historically been mocked in American pop culture and associated with redneck culture, which has been used to put down predominantly working class populations that consume it. So I wanted to pose that there's a lack of consideration towards the unique parameters that exist within those who live in more extreme and rural environments, and that meat sold at grocery stores in these communities because of the far supply chain might not exist at a reasonable price point for their financial viability. Finally, roadkill is also free of artificial hormones and antibiotics. It's really difficult to get any more free range than this. Although, once again, I do want to acknowledge that there is a need to be mindful of foodborne illnesses when consuming roadkill. On another note, roadkill promotes a mindset of salvaging and a greater mindfulness towards the animals we eat. So this actually made me think back to the Native American indigenous culture of meat consumption and how in this culture, there's an imperative that exists to really respect every part of the animal that you eat. And this comes polar to the factory farming conditions that we have in mainstream American society, where we cramp animals and raise them in factory farms under traumatic conditions. And because of this, PETA and many other animal activist organizations are actually supportive of the collection of roadkill. Now I wanted to address the common perception that roadkill collection only exists in rural and conservative areas. In fact, in California, one of the most liberal states in our nation, Gavin Newsom actually signed a bill in 2019 that authorized the creation of a pilot program in California, where the state will designate up to three regions having high wildlife vehicle conditions as being valid locations where drivers may salvage the meat of certain animals killed as a result of collision. And roadkill salvaging and consumption is actually legal in up to 30 states now in some form. So tying this discussion back to topics and themes we've discussed in our class, I found it problematic in how 
We tend to impose our ethics of food justice on other folks without proper consideration of their lived circumstances. And it actually brought me into a full circle back towards Hannah Garf's Black Food Matters, where oftentimes the American emphasis on healthy food functions as a threat to black culture. And I specifically remember an anecdote in terms of her discussing her involvement in a food justice program where they asked her to use her positionality as a black woman to promote kale to kids that look like her. So in this, I find a parallel problematicness in imposing eth our ethics of food justice on other communities. The ethics we may hold in terms of food may not directly apply or translate to those who have different circumstances than us. And we do have to acknowledge that roadkill foodways really do exist as viable sources of protein for folks across the U.S. that are food insecure or just want to be more mindful of the food that they consume. So as this is the last episode of The Munchies Dude, I wanted to wish all of the listeners out there a happy summer. And here's a final peace and ciao.